everyone. Welcome to episode 80 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we're here today with another 10th episode, which means it's time for another giveaway. Woohoo! And we have, coming up on episode 81, we're going to have two authors with us, and they graciously gave us a copy of their books for our 80th episode giveaway. The authors are Cheryl Sookers. Her book is 48 Peaks, Hiking and Healing in the White Mountains, and Jean Moore, the author of Tilda's Promise. And all you need to do to enter to win is just make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter, our email newsletter. We'll put a link in the show notes on how to do that. And you can also just go to bookcougars.com and sign up there. Yeah, and sometimes people are a little confused. They think if they're subscribed to the podcast on their podcast app, that that means that they're also subscribed to the newsletter, but they actually are two different things. All you need to do to sign up for the email newsletter is give us your email address. And that comes through MailChimp. It's a regular email newsletter that we send out once a month, ideally. Ideally. We skipped June because we were both a little busy, but we are going to do a newsletter in July. And we promise that's all we do. We don't sell your email address or any of that other weird stuff. Today, we hope that you enjoy our read-along episode with Jenny from the Reading Envy podcast. We had a great time talking about Safira and the Slave Girl by Willa Cather. Yeah, I'm really glad we did it. We also, just to remind people, our conversation with Jenny on Gone with the Wind was on her episode 157, which we'll also put a link in the show notes. These two books together were such an awesome compliment to each other. I'm so glad that we did this. Another, in my mind, successful coupling of books for a summer read-along. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Enjoy. We are here today with a very special guest. Hi, I'm Jenny from the Reading Envy podcast. We're so happy to have you back. We, For those of you who haven't had a chance to listen, we've done dual read-alongs with Jenny. We did a read-along of Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell, which aired on episode, was it 157? Is that right? 157, yes. Of the Reading Envy podcast. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And now Jenny is hopping over to the other side, and she's going to be, she is a guest on the Book Cougars, and we're going to discuss, here's the question, is it Sapphira and the Slave Girl or Sapphira and the Slave Girl by by Willa Cather? That is a good question. I've always said Sephira. When I was driving down to Virginia last week, the audiobook I listened to was saying Sapphira. Yeah. And oh. when I got to the Willa Cather conference, most of the people there were saying Sephira and the Slave Girl. But there, were, there was a person or two who said Sapphira. So I think it's one of those names that maybe it just depends on what your tradition is, maybe. Hmm. Well, to me, it's an unusual name. I mean, Jenny, you live in the South. Do you ever actually hear that name? I've never heard it, no. And I've been saying it Sapphira in my head, too. I was completely shocked when I started the audio and they said Sapphira. I actually had to write it down Mm -hmm. because it just seemed odd. And then she's also referred to as Safi sometimes in the story, which Mm. I thought was interesting what should we just decide we're going to call it safira call her safira or we, well i'm used to saying safira <laughs> yeah me too all right we'll, we'll, keep it we'll just that. decide the audio narrator didn't know or what she was we could just doing. go really personal and just call her sappy <laughs> do that <laughs> so anyway for those of you who haven't read the novel this will be a spoiler rich episode where it's a read-along so we'll be talking about all the ins and outs and for those of you who haven't read it and don't plan on reading it anytime soon. <laughs> and as a refresher for those of you who have read it, we'll just say basically that this novel is set in the 1850s in rural Virginia. It's the story of Safira, who is a slave owner. She's married to a man who is opposed to slavery, and their daughter, who's an adult woman, is also uh, opposed to slavery. And one of the slaves that Safira owns is named Nancy, and she is the slave girl of the title in the book. Safira becomes jealous of Nancy because Nancy is the main slave who takes care of her husband's quarters down at the mill where he now lives. They don't share a bed anymore. Safira becomes extremely jealous over Nancy because, as the story says, she's a pretty yellow girl. Mulatto, uh, so she's mixed race. 
And there's arguments over who is her father. We don't really know. So the story is a really dark tale of a, a female slave owner who is setting up her female slave to be raped by one of her nephews. She invites this nephew named Martin to come and visit. It's known that he is a nasty man who always uh, has his way with the female slaves. And so it's just a really dark story. And I know I was appalled and shocked the first time I read it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I had this, I made this comment, I think, to someone in the group. You know, there's a lot of connections between this and Gone with the Wind, and it's, you know, natural for us to make them. But the one thing that really occurred to me is I kind of feel like Scarlett and Sephira are similar. Like, maybe Scarlett could have become Sephira if the war hadn't happened, if her life had all been about her entitlement and she'd never grown. Do you think that she has any similarities with her? That's a tough question to me because I think their age is so different. I personally have sympathy for both of these characters. And I think in modern times, these are characters that we would refer to as, what do you call them? Uh, characters that you you love to hate. But what's the fancy term they use for it now? Oh, no, like Gone Girl. You know, what did they call her, That the main character? Unlikable? Unlikable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, unlikable narrator. That's what they say, that they're both unlikable narrators, right? And so I I felt like with Scarlett, I had a lot of softness for her because here's the 16-year-old whose life gets completely turned upside down. She just wants to ogle men (laughs) and different choices are forced upon her, you know? This is a good question, Jenny, because I could see Scarlett say when she's in her 60s, if she develops a condition, because we should also say Safira is wheelchair bound for the most yes. she has a heart condition that is really limiting her movement capacity her legs are no longer really usable so she's also in that position she's kind of physically isolated right so you can imagine if that happened to scarlet when she was in her 60s or so and there are some pretty slaves sniffing around rat mm-hmm. or she perceived it that way right because um, we totally should be clear that. that nancy was not having a relationship with her husband, yeah. with, with Safira's husband. I had some question about that. and Because you don't really know. The, you right. don't know until later on in the novel, for sure. Yeah. 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 Because one of the things is it's two of the other slaves, the cook and her daughter, Bluebell, who was annoying, kind of, <laughs> kind of like the the other character in Gone with the Wind. Melanie? No. The, they're the slave, oh, the young slave. Pr- um, Prissy. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Kind of similar character there. I think yeah. Safira overhears them talking about Nancy's sure is making the master's room really nice and comfortable. So they're insinuating all these right, things right. because Nancy is a favorite. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so Safira, who is isolated and in pain, hears these things and it she totally, her mind goes racing. Well, Nancy's a favorite and she's different. And we know that people who are different often get called out and made to be the fall people for things. But also, Safira has what they call dropsy, which I had to look up, which is edema. Right. So she's got these really painful legs. She and her husband aren't having a relationship anymore, and she appears very bitter. And she also had to step down economically. Right. You know, she was from a wealthier area. When she married, they moved to to Back Creek, you know, which is really... It's in the western part of the county, and it technically borders Appalachia, which is, you know, poor soil and rocky conditions. So she has that step down. Right. And even her slave, Till, feels that social drop in status from the experience she had as a slave in a house that was in the, you know, a higher economic bracket, which I thought was a fascinating thing in terms of how these white people and black people, slaves, lives are intertwined mm-hmm. so deeply, you know, that's an issue for, for right. everybody. That they can feel, the, a slave can feel the difference when that, of a different home that they right. yeah. go to. Yeah. yeah, it's like that annual trip they would take. I can't remember where they would go, where she's from, I think. Right. And then when that one slave didn't get to go to it, she was really upset. So. Right. Yeah. It was like to her sister's house, right? Or mm-hmm. her, I think she would go visit her sister who was still in 
higher standing in a town, mm-hmm. you know, a busier town, or, right? Yeah, city, and that's a great question to get us started for sure. And what do you think, Jenny? Do you think that Scarlett would have turned into a Safira? I kind of think so. I mean, her she has an aunt in her family that has all those funny health conditions, right? Where she's mm-hmm. passing out all the time and you can't tell if she's really doing it or if she's doing it. Cause it's the only way left she has to get attention. And I think once Scarlett's looks are gone, there's going to have to be something else there. I liked thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting question. I mean, mm-hmm. I think though, so where I have held sympathy for Safira, that was similar to Scarlett was that Safira was, living a very limited life. I mean, she was in a situation where people had to carry her from Mm -hmm. place to place. It would be threatening, I think, to have all of these young people around your husband. And part of me wanted to say, well, what is her husband doing? You know? Well, he's in his bed chambers. I mean, I I was was really kind of on the edge of my seat waiting to find out. Like, well, is he having a relationship with someone or isn't he, you know? Yeah. I got to say, like, I've read this novel before a couple times, and I listened to it on an audio on my drive, and I was gripping the steering wheel at times because I just thought, this is definitely a very, like, subtly written novel. It's not dramatic Mm -hmm. in that way, but it is really, there's a lot of tension Mm -hmm. if you're invested in what's happening to Nancy, you know, and, and what's going on. I guess even... Because that first part, you don't really know what's going on. Right. Like, you don't know, you can't see what's going to happen. I don't think. Well, and this is my first Cather novel. Have you read Cather before, Jenny? I've read My Antonia a few times and O Pioneers. And then, remember the readers? They did that read-along of The Professor's House. That's the other one I've read. This is my first Cather, and I was wondering, like, I felt like part of what built the tension for me is the chapter's end really abruptly yeah they're just like they stop and you're kind of like what that's the end of because I started with it being on audio you know I listened to it before I then picked it up and read it as well and and then she would some of them would end abruptly and then it would be a new character mm-hmm. you know that she would switch perspectives you know there's different books there's five books I think is that right I'm, yeah I don't remember and they have now. they all have a different title and so I'd be like well but what just happened where are we going you <laughs> yeah. know so I feel like that's where some of the tension was for me maybe that's where James Patterson got it mm. <laughs> <laughs> all because of Cather Well, and in some ways, it's deceptively simple, right? You have to start reading between the lines a little bit, because it seems to be really more about a novel about power, because her husband really gets out of the way. She makes all of the decisions that have to do with the household, the slaves, because technically they're her property only. And really, a lot of the economic decisions are hers. And it's interesting that he doesn't agree with her, but he doesn't fight her on any of that. But you yeah. can kind of see, like, when the, when the daughter character comes in, it changes what the dynamic is. And, and she kind of starts to look a little bit ridiculous right. rather than powerful, you know. <laughs> exactly. And it is loosely based on Cather's life and family experience. Her, I think it was her grandmother's family owned slaves. And her father's side of the family never owned slaves. So... Um, and even during the conference, there was much talk about that part of Virginia, Northern Virginia, and um, that a lot of people were not advocates of slavery and they didn't own slaves. I think one of the statistics I read was that only 2% of the population owned slaves wow. in that area, to the point that that area, you know, West Virginia voted to split off from Virginia because they didn't want to be a slave state. So, and it's very close to the border. Mm. So there was a lot of ambiguity in a lot of ways uh, regarding slavery. But you had those families, some that were Union sympathizers, some that were Confederates, and then even within a family to see slaves, not slaves. Um, Which is what's the case in this book. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. the husband kind of, you know, they they're, they move to this new area and they're kind of ostracized, not completely ostracized, but looks poorly upon that they own slaves yeah right and the husband doesn't like that but as you said jenny he tolerates it mm-hmm. and seems to hide it until this ugliness with nancy where nancy's being set up to 
really suffer some consequences. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And even though I don't think she is his daughter, he sees her as a daughter. And so he feels very protective of her. And it's, it's the, the surrounding town is interesting because you were saying that, you know, hardly any of them had slaves. And some of the time I had the impression it was because they were poor that if they had had wealth, then maybe they would have had slaves. But then some of them clearly have a, a moral issue or ethical issue with it. And it made me think of the Grimke sisters. Have you ever heard of them? They lived in Charleston and they were abolitionists. And so they basically were banned from being in Charleston. <laughs> they were part of Charleston society back then. And uh, they tried to work against slavery and they were basically ostracized from their entire community. But in this novel, it's the slave owners that are kind of being ostracized, which is just an interesting contrast. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, I mean, and this is the novel set starts in 1856 and in 1850 is when the Fugitive Slave Act was passed. So that gets thrown into the mix, too, mm-hmm. that now even people who don't own slaves are being somehow held responsible to look at other human beings as property that needs to be returned or else you'll be prosecuted for assisting them or aiding mm-hmm. them. And, and I guess one of the things I was fascinated with is that the father, he's so passive mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to be involved to the point where he won't even physically hand his daughter the money. Now I know they have to keep it on the download, everything, right. but you know, the fact that he says, I'll, I'll leave money in the jacket and I'll hang it by the open window I mean, to that level of secrecy. Right. Let's explain what we're talking about here. Because what happens is that um, Mrs. Blake, right, is the daughter. Yeah. And she, daughter of Safira and Mr. Colbert, who's the, the father. And Mrs. Blake, the daughter, these names drove me crazy. because they I know. <laughs> seemed like they were the same age. Decide that Nancy needs to be rescued from this situation and sent up north. And so the daughter goes to her father and says, you know, I need some money to make this happen. And that's what Chris is alluding to, that he's happy to help, but he doesn't want anyone to know that he's helping. So there's a scene where he leaves money in his jacket by an open window and the daughter comes and picks up the money and then helps Nancy escape. Escape, right. And the thing is, is, you know, he's in there studying his Bible. He is looking for passages in the Bible that condemn slavery to to help with his own mind, his own peace of mind, but maybe also to present an argument to his wife. And there's nothing in the Bible against slavery. Mm -hmm. There's only advice or pleas to treat your slaves well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's shocking and that's reality. And that's what I think a lot of Christians struggled with. Yeah. But it also made me really mad at him. Yes. Like, you know, just make your own decisions. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel like it's not okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's what I love about his daughter, Rachel slash Mrs. Blake. Blake, um, Is that she, as a child, had always felt like something was wrong. And she didn't know until it was identified that, you know, this this was slavery. And that's why she then understood that something wasn't right. And and in a lot of Cather's novels, you get these characters who are in a family and they don't have the same uh, heart feeling Mm -hmm. as other people. So they're kind of emotionally the black sheep of the family, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what Rachel is, although... You know, the dad is, but he's just kind of so passive and um, not willing to really assert. Right. Or take the risk. I mean, because the daughter, Mrs. Blake, ends up literally helping Nancy escape via the Underground Railroad, essentially, Mm -hmm. right, through the help of Quakers and things like that. She goes up to Montreal. Right. And she crosses the Potomac River. And one of the scholars who presented at the Gather Seminar talked about the Potomac River and the history of it in terms of being a boundary for slavery, but also a way of escape Mm -hmm. through the waters of the Potomac. That was fascinating. And and that there were Quakers in that area who who helped slaves. I love part of the scene of the escape. I I was on pins and needles, you know, because something bad's going to happen. And I loved the part where they do, someone does come upon them and then they say, you know, we've got coffins in the back that we're taking. And then everyone just like, spread and like okay you're, you're free to go you yeah. know and I thought wow that was that's tricky mm-hmm. I was looking for the letter that um, Mrs. Blake got from her mother after that and I can't find it but yeah 
welcome. Yeah. House. Right. Because then what happens is the mother, you know, the mother wakes up because Nancy was also helping to take care of Safira and Safira's husband. And suddenly Nancy's gone missing. And it's, I guess, you know, the mom's kind of, she's, she's no dummy and she figures out what happens in her own mind. Yeah. And so she sends a letter to oh, her daughter. Oh, here it is. She just says, at last, Mrs. Blake opened the letter and read, Mistress Blake is kindly requested to make no further visits at the mill house. Safira Dotteridge Colbert. That's it. And yeah. I wrote next to it, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a mean mama yeah. right there. Get her way. Yeah. I mean, not to make more connections to Gone with the Wind, but is that what we would call unreceived? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, yeah, and it's fascinating because there was a scene earlier in the book where Safira, it shows that she has a really lovely relationship with her grandchildren, who are the children of this daughter who she's now ostracized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ripple effect of saying something like that is not trivial. Right. And, mm-hmm. and later, I think, well, after a spoiler, one of the granddaughters dies. Yeah. She rethinks that and mm-hmm. comes around. Right. It softens you when someone dies. But the, I will say the scenes with the doctor and the kids who have diphtheria and the doctor's like, we starve them. They can't eat. They can't, they can't drink. Oh, yeah. my gracious. Yeah. Well, I was so confused. Can we talk a little bit about about that? Because it seemed like the girl who drank the soup died. No, she's the one who lived. Okay. Because yeah. I thought at first that the doctor was right after all. And I, I was like, is that really the message? <laughs> oh. No, I think it yeah. was the opposite that this okay. soup was killed, but then they were like, don't tell anybody about Don't the tell soup. anybody. So. And, and they even said, you know, the doctor went from house to house, never washing his hands. And I just <laughs> was cringing yeah. reading all of that. The way it was. I know. Yeah. Back in the but, day. Oh gosh, the diphtheria sounds like an awful way to go because like this it was called the suffocating disease mm. because you get this layer on your throat that it turns your throat like leathery mm. and you basic everything just basically swells shut and you mm. suffocate. Ugh. What a horrible way to go. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons you know, just looking at the area back then when there wasn't things like air conditioning and fans and electricity there was so much disease there because mm-hmm. it's really, you know, it's in the mountains. It's in, there are a lot of valleys, a lot of streams. There's a lot of moisture. Yeah. And so people were often getting sick. Yeah. I mean, the unhealthiness of all of that. And, you know, when doctors finally learned that washing their hands helps, right. you know, was, yeah. was after this book. But um, also that's my point too. Sorry. Was that that's one of the, re- one of the reasons the Cathers left was for health reasons. Oh, because there was a lot of, um, illness there well it's interesting because that's when i had some sympathy for safira because when she finds out her grandchildren are sick and that dipsy doctor is over there she's like go get the real doctor get the doctor that takes care of me you know <laughs> i thought that was hilarious i mean I, she was not she was no dummy and that actually now that i'm thinking about your question jenny your original question Scarlet was no dummy either. I mean, that's mm-hmm. they could be so conniving because mm-hmm. you have to be pretty smart to be conniving, you know? You do. And and Jenny, you asked a question about difficult Southern women in the, the Goodreads group, if there is a trope of that. And there definitely is in mm-hmm. Southern literature. And there was even a book that I think came out in the 90s that kind of played on the whole thing about how to be, how to get what you want from the Southern woman's perspective something to that effect it was like a self-help book for women but um i shouldn't call it self-help popular help for women type thing (laughs) but you know there's so many women who work the system Mm -hmm. in southern literature and i think in later years they've become a little bit more quirky or something Mm -hmm. but you know i was thinking of like you know fried green tomatoes yeah divine whatever of the yaya sisters and even secrets even like uh, steel magnolias Mm -hmm. you know where you have these strong women Mm -hmm. who have to work things to get their way but make it look like they're not working Mm. necessarily Mm. and so now that you guys are talking about gone the wind i'm even looking at the miller like maybe the miller is like charlie scarlet's first husband (laughs) Or even like Ashley, 
because wasn't Ashley, Ashley the guy she loved? She was the one she was, yeah. Because yeah, he was kind of hopeless. And the Miller, I mean, his heart's in the right place, but he's kind of hopeless, I right. think. Not to be yeah. me, but yeah. <laughs> he's not going to compete for control anyway. <laughs> well, one of our listeners, Deb, said that she loved Rachel, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Blake, and she felt like there's some comparison to Melanie in mm-hmm. Gomez. Yeah. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I think in terms of their kindness, mm-hmm. but you know, Melanie was a diehard Confederate mm. who was all about the Confederacy, and Rachel is not. That's true. You know, yeah. like there were some Southerners who were opposed to slavery, but they still supported the Confederacy when it came down to it because, you know, it there's this issue of state rights and your homeland and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I don't think, I don't know, I was wondering about Melanie and Rachel getting together mm-hmm. and if they'd be friends or if they'd hate each other or if they would just have like a kind of a quiet peace between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, I think that their love for their families really kind of held things together. And for Rachel, that family isn't necessarily her mother, but the other women that she grew up around. So that includes Nancy. And she knew what her mother was saying just with that one sentence letter. She mm-hmm. like she could read between the lines because she knew her so well. But yeah, it's a lot of strength to do that, I think. Mm-hmm. It is. It's hard to uh, go against the matriarch, I think. And then another listener, um, Kim said... I know Safira was the main antagonist, but oh, how that nephew disgusted me. Yeah. <laughs> he was awful. So, so. so the nephew is this character, Martin, who Safira invites to town so that he can take advantage of Nancy. Yeah. And Safira does everything she can to throw Nancy in his path. Mm-hmm. And one of the conversations about this novel is often like, you know, how much agency does Nancy have? Mm-hmm. And it seems like she has a lot in some ways because she she does go to Washington and they change sleeping positions or, you know, sleeping quarters. Washington is a character. Yeah, he's one of the characters. He's yeah. one of the slaves. He's actually her stepfather because mm-hmm. he was the one that Safira married to tell, right? right? That's the other thing Safira did a lot was control her slaves by telling them who they would marry. Right. Right. And and she also has, she also, Till is her main, like her lady's maid slave, Mm -hmm. head of the household slave. And she marries her to Washington, who can't reproduce. Mm -hmm. He's a K-bomb man, as they call him. And he was probably castrated. And which was one of the punishments for running away for a male slave. So Safira knew that Nancy, or not Nancy, Till wouldn't get pregnant by him. And therefore distract her from her right. duties, which is like, you know, and it's all about her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then the other side of that, she wanted to split up people as punishment. Her, that's when her husband actually put his foot down. Yeah. Or was it Rachel who put her foot down? I remember several different moments like that. People. Yeah. Yeah, right. he did say, or she also just wanted. She started with trying to get him just to not have Nancy go down to his quarters anymore. And he was not going to have that. And that's when I got suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> just turned out that Nancy was really good at what she did. Right. Well, she had yeah. that heart feeling. Yeah. With, with the Miller, they, right. they had, you know, a common sensibility. Yeah. yeah. They were more like, you know, spiritual father, daughter. And even later than when Nancy comes back, her speech is more like the Miller speech. You know, mm-hmm. her speech changes over the decades up in Canada so that in so many ways she becomes even more like the, the daughter in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, but Bluebell was just such a wreck. You know, she couldn't do anything right, apparently. Yeah. So that was, so what, what Safira wanted to do was put Bluebell in Nancy's place as the caretaker of the husband And when that didn't work, she called on the nephew. And I think it's interesting that when people talk about the book, seemingly they talk more, I guess this is what I was trying to say about the unreliable or unlikable narrator. They talk about Safira, but I don't see as many people. I was happy to see one of our read-along participants pipe in about the nephew because I think he was such a heinous 
awful character. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's so interesting because one of the books I've read in between Safira and now our discussion is this book called A Hundred Times by Chavisa Woods. And it's like a little micro memoir where she talks about a hundred different times in her life that she's had to deal with like sexual harassment or sexual assault. And it's so amazing to me how a lot of the same things Martin said were lines that she quoted from men saying them now. So there's this ongoing thread maybe of men that just see women as there for their pleasure. And then they get very frustrated when you don't play along, when you move your bed down the hallway, like (laughs) Nancy does, or you interrupt what, what would happen otherwise by walking with another woman. It's just amazing to me how he's just so predatory and then how, at the same time, not so amazing that people continue to act that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because this book was written in 1940. 1940, yeah. Yeah, Catherine, what is it, in like 1936, 37? And the theory is that, you know, people ask, like, why does she only have one novel set in Virginia? She's most associated with Nebraska. And one of the theories is that her parents had died by this time. And maybe uh, she had more freedom to go back. To that, to that past and write about the family in that way. And that's one of the theories. Anyway. But this was also her last book, right? Yeah, it wasn't. The, she was working on another book when she died, um, but this was her last published novel. And, you know, the thing with Martin, it is blatant, obviously, what he's doing. And that scene with the cherry tree, when Nancy is up sitting on a branch in the cherry tree, and he's there talking about, obviously, you know, plucking cherries. Right. I The first time I read it, I remember thinking like, wow, Willa, that's really kind of heavy handed. <laughs> talking about this guy who wants to pluck this girl's cherry right. and she's sitting in a cherry tree. But reading it this time, I was so struck by the detail of that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it is almost like an oral sex scene in mm-hmm. some ways because he grabs her ankles and he's holding her ankles and he's leering up and he talks about mm, that sweet smell mm-hmm. but then when she screams finally and he steps down and washington comes running and saying what is it he at the end uh you know martin tells a lie and says i don't know she just she just yelled but washington looks and he sees martin's wet footprint on the yes and i thought <laughs> Oh my God, that is such a killer detail. Like, what a movie shot. Yeah, yeah. I could totally see that. And I just love those details because I think those details are so small, but they really add to the tension mm-hmm. in the story and make you grip the steering wheel. Yeah, <laughs> that was an intense scene. That was yeah. an upsetting scene, I thought. Yeah. I, I really was upset by that and um, just how gross he was. And one thing I listened to recently is Oprah Winfrey was interviewed by Cheryl Strayed. Both of them were sitting on the stage and both of them have been sexually abused. And Oprah talked about the, the reason that she decided to finally speak about her childhood abuse was because she had done a sh- an episode of the Oprah Winfrey show where predators, you know, sexual offenders were on the show and they were talking about how predatory their behavior was, like how long they would take to work on a niece and get them comfortable with their touch and things like that. And she said it was so blatant and so disgusting that it made her realize like she was the victim of this predatory behavior Mm -hmm. so that was in my head as then I read that scene and it oh man (laughs) this is and not only that but his aunt Safira participated in his known predatory behavior yeah you know that was just so doubly heinous yeah that whole aspect of that story absolutely you get the sense that her brothers and her uncles, her father, all kind of participated in that same behavior. Yeah, which so happens often in families. And the Miller, in that particular instance, it's known that Martin is a predator. He had been in a city to get his face oh, repaired yeah. after got, being beaten up. Beaten up for getting, uh, for having sex with a woman, and the brothers came and beat him up right the brothers of this woman which yeah. is what happened with Rhett Butler like yeah when he was on that carriage ride where the carriage broke down and then the next day the brothers wanted to have a duel with him and right yeah so it's interesting similarities yeah <laughs> at the end now so that 
final chapter where it goes to the first person, you know, this was based on a memory that Cather had of the character of Nancy coming back after having escaped. Um, and one of the things I wanted to find out, like, what happens to Martin? Because, mm. you know, you really hope that something bad happened to him. Right. But he died in the war. I think he was a captain. And they even built a monument to him. Right. And you just think, like, like how many assholes out there do have monuments to them? You know, I think about, like, the American Library Association just renamed one of its top awards, or they're, they're not naming it after Dewey anymore. Because yeah. <laughs> even in his lifetime, Dewey was thought to be behaving in reprehensible ways. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. With his treatment towards Jews and women and mm. African Americans, but there there's a a sentence though that even though they built the monument to him and the family tried to make a big to do, the neighborhood was relieved. Right. That he was dead. Died. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know I was. <laughs> <laughs> but it does end with Nancy coming back. And can we talk about why? Do you guys have a feeling as to why then Cather switched to first person in the very end? Yeah, because I think it was her actual memory. Uh, yeah, because she okay. was the five-year-old child when, you know, because she grew up with Aunt Till, mm-hmm. who um, would tell her a lot of these stories of the old days. And so when Nancy was coming back for a visit, it was a huge deal. And that was in like the 1870s. She was in bed in her mom's bed, sick, and got, was waiting for the stagecoach to come down the road with Nancy, waiting all day. And she got to witness the mom and the daughter embracing again for the first time after so many decades, what, three decades, two decades at least, mm-hmm. away from each other. Yeah, I think so, in the book it's 25 years, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Wow. So that's why, in that last chapter that isn't the first person is really unprecedented in any of Gather's novels. She's never done that. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that as much as Mrs. Blake is was anti-slavery if you notice they all have the same meal together cooked by the same people but they're sitting at different tables mm-hmm. like so this is segregation now well i wanted to talk about that can we talk a little bit about some of, some of the criticism i've read about this book is the racism mm-hmm. and how cather handled that and you know it was difficult just like gone with the wind was difficult there were some sentences in here where they're dis- the descriptors of the African-Americans was so painfully difficult for me to read. And just and then there's the section where Samson is one of the slaves, and the miller says, you know, you're free. You go, go take your family and go live. And Samson says, I don't want to do that. Why would I want to leave the mill? Mm-hmm. And I read some criticisms about that, that why didn't Cather choose to have him embrace his freedom? Yeah. You know? Well, I would. Have you ever been to um, Monticello, no. the Jefferson home? There is this little story about how he took his pastry chef to France with him, and then when he came back home, the pastry chef committed suicide. It was like that difference between tasting freedom or seeing seeing what life could be and not really being able to handle it. Mm. So I, I do think that. Well, I don't know. Maybe it was just hard to imagine the life or maybe he'd have to leave without his family. Maybe that was part of it. Mm-hmm. Because they definitely would value family first, I would think. They don't want to be split up from one another. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, you know, if you've lived your whole life in this small town or this one area, you know, what what more do you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and... and I'm sure during the Civil War, everybody's hearing all these horror stories about what's happening here and what's happening there and how people are treated in different places. Although then there is the knowledge of the Underground Railroad and good information coming Mm -hmm. different ways. But yeah, I I guess in some ways, why would you want to leave the place where you live if place matters to you? Well, not only that. But even when when Nancy is being rescued, I'm using air quotes there, Mm -hmm. you know, being sent off on the Underground Railroad, she has a moment of doubt. Like, you know, where am I going and how am I going to do this? And caring for the people she's leaving behind, including some of the people who are wronging her. Well, the thing is, like, I mean, think about that. Like, I was really trying to put myself in Nancy's shoes, which is, of course, impossible. But I was thinking, like, here she is, a young woman 
going off on her own to a different country. Mm -hmm. And like at least where she was living, she did have the help of Washington and Jefferson and Samson and other people, she could, and Mrs. Blake, who mm -hmm. she could turn to for help. Right. And here she's going to be going to this place where she knows no one. Right. So what happens if there is another creep like Martin? Mm -hmm. She'll have no one to turn to. Mm -hmm. And I just think, right. like, how, how could you not have second thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plus right. it would be illegal to return. Right. So right. Dangerous yeah. either way. Yeah. In jeopardy who helped you. you right. Mm -hmm. Dangering them as well. Right. So it's one of the things that I think about just in the, the state we're in in our country now and the history that they're, we're trying to do some discussion about reparations and things like that, that, you know, it's hard that what the, the choices for the slaves at those times, they were, they were given kind of in certain ways, I think, lose-lose choices. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's kind of what was happening with Samson is you have, you're being treated well by the Miller, you mm. know, you have a good situation, your family's here. And what does freedom mean? You know? Right. Yeah. Well, and one of the people who like the novel was Langston Hughes, who Cather probably met several times at parties and stuff in Harlem. And he had written her saying, you know, thanking her for, and this is a quote, the sympathy with which you have treated my people. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so I think like it is, it's challenging for us to look back, especially reading novels with this language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think at the time it was common knowledge yes. in certain yeah. regions. Yeah. So to present the characters like Cather did, I don't think she was as harsh as Margaret Mitchell. Because I think Margaret Mitchell, the way she described the African-American characters in such animalistic ways, relentlessly, you know, Cather doesn't have that, although there is some of it. Because mm -hmm. I think she does refer to one of the characters in that animalistic way. And that you know? was really upsetting to yeah. me. And it was a character that Safira had good feelings towards, which Probably. was the other really, we haven't talked about that, the other really interesting thing about Safira is as heinous as she was to Nancy, she had this older Jezebel, slave, Jezebel that yeah. she, she was completely... Well, I don't even know what the word is. Like, she was her elder. Yeah. You know, yeah. So Jen mm -hmm. is a very old woman in this book, and she's kind of on her deathbed. She was a slave brought from Africa. And actually, one of the points made in this conference that I went to was that Cather was one of the first American fiction writers to describe the Middle Passage, mm -hmm. with, yeah. where slaves are brought over on ships. And um, so there are those scenes on the ship and uh, with Jezebel, who is this ancient woman? Yeah, and those yeah. scenes were really difficult to read. Mm -hmm. But I, that's interesting to hear that those had, that it had never really been written about before. Yeah, Heather did a ton of research. She did a lot of her research at the, uh, the New York Society Library. Mm -hmm. um, right. But she, with all her historical fiction, really tried to capture the time period as best as she could and she did go back for a visit to virginia specifically in part to hear the speech patterns of the african-american mm -hmm. there that she said were like a phonographic record in her mind mm -hmm. that hear them so clearly um, but she went down to try and understand the speech pattern mm -hmm. and then the, the, there's the issue of do you write in dialect right do you not yeah. even when scholars were presenting their papers do they read those scenes in dialect or do they right. fancy up their English? Mm -hmm. And some yeah. people did and some people didn't. So I mm -hmm. think it's still a tricky issue yeah. for people. Well, and for me, I won't say the N word. So I would have to say N word. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Because it's pretty prevalent in here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, and that's, that's a good reality check. Yeah. You know, yeah. I definitely heard the word in Chicago. Yeah, see, I can't abide by that at all. I. Mm -mm. To do that well so. even the first when we took a train recently we got off at 125th in harlem and the first word that i heard was somebody using the n-word mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah. it's still out i think a lot about books like huckleberry finn mm -hmm. where they're trying to create cleansed versions of the book that don't use the n-word mm -hmm. and i just kind of feel like then what are we doing mm -hmm. like we're erasing our history mm -hmm. i think like we can't come to terms with racism 
if we erase history. Right. Yeah. Right. And I don't think Cather is trying to endorse it. I think she's creating realistic characters that would have used that language. There's a difference probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think you're right. There is. Well, I also heard, or I was just trying to find it and I can't find it. Toni Morrison stated that she felt like this book was really a story, an interracial story. And it was all about desire, which I think is really interesting because I think that there is an aspect of Safira that is all about desire yeah. and longing and that some of her ill behavior actually comes from that place, you know? Yeah. But that's where I have some sympathy for her yeah. <laughs> in her little swollen body oh, you yeah. know, that can't move. Yeah. So I wanted to reread that essay, but I didn't have time. Yeah. I read it a lot, you know, a while ago, so I couldn't speak to it now. Yeah. Well, she does kind of from time to time say to her husband, are you coming up to bed? (laughs) Or even are you staying? You know, are you coming or, you know, and that's why I was a little suspicious of Mr. Colbert at the beginning of the book. (laughs) So, and, And this copy that I have, I know our listeners can't see it, but it almost looks a little like a romance novel, the cover. It definitely isn't. I mean, I don't know if that's supposed to be Safira. She looks a little on the young side. Yeah, maybe it's supposed to be Mrs. Blake and, and Nancy. One thing I wanted to say was this title of the book seemed criticism about, you know, Sophia and the Slave Girl. The Slave Girl isn't even mentioned. Like, her name's not even in, in the title. Yeah. And I want to find out more about who created this title because Cather's working title was actually The Old Folks at Home. Mm. That was her working title <laughs> of this novel. And I think okay, I could see that as a good working title because she's trying to to get back to that time period and even the time period before her own time period. But what a boring title for the public because, you know, it's 1940. Who wants to read about the old folks at home? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, there there is a war going on in the world. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, the Sophia and the Slave Girl, if that was riffing on Gone with the Wind. Mm, yeah. To get... Hmm. The slave issue in people's consciousness as a book they might want to pick up because Gone with the Wind was so popular. Yeah. I mean, it would be smart marketing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you know if it was popular when it was published? It was. Okay. Yeah, it was popular. And I it was on track to be one of her most popular novels. But then like in the mid part of the century, it died off a bit. Mm. I think because people had a hard time with the language and they... They thought it was a bit old-fashioned. Not everybody praised it. it. It was a good seller, and she got a lot of fan mail. But some prominent critics did diss it a bit. Mm-hmm. One of them said that, you know, she was looking backwards and everything. But he was also a Marxist critic who wanted, <laughs> you know, contemporary criticism of contemporary times mm-hmm. to change the system and everything. Um, another critic actually called it dull. Yeah. And I can't imagine, I mean, I'm thinking, my first thought was like, yeah, that would be a man. Mm. Because I can't imagine a woman thinking this was a dull novel Mm -hmm. when the whole plot centers around rape Mm -hmm. and how to thwart it, you know? I think what he means is domestic, as in, I'm a man and I don't deal with home stuff. (laughs) Right, yeah, because there was a critic, and I'm not sure if it was in relation to this book or uh, Cather's work as a whole, but. He, he said, like, you know, her interest was in pots and pans. Mm. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's just so interesting the way people read novels when they're coming from their own critical perspective. Right. And they can't, you know, I mean, we think that we're reading what is actually there when we all have our own critical assumptions and perspectives and desires right. of what we want to see. So who's to say what is actually really in a novel? Yeah. Yeah. And what a novel is really about. Well, and it just goes deeper back to that whole value of women again, because women are supposed to read men's literature, but men aren't supposed to read women's, you know, like there's still that kind of divide going on. I don't know. I think there's a lot of truth in domestic topics. So yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe men just can't handle reality. Yeah. <laughs> now I think men. Sorry, guys. Well, men are, give them a little credit. Men are being more domestic now, so maybe there's change in tone. I don't know, but yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's some scenes where they're, you know, describing, you know, like um because of her dropsy or edema, 
Safira had a hard time putting on shoes. Mm -hmm. So there's a scene where her, it's Till, right, is trying to stretch out a pair of her shoes, you know, and then Safira's like, your feet are too small. You're not going to be able to stretch out my shoes. And then Till's like, just put your slippers on. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, my God, do I care about the shoes? You know, (laughs) Let's move on to some other well, details. But so. like, if you look at it, if you look at everybody's shoes in that book, you know, you have Washington flapping his sho- his right. slippers as after he delivers the tea or whatever. He, you know, flaps out with his slippers on, and then Till is there, and she has she's flapping the slippers on her hands mm-hmm. to Safira, and she doesn't she wants shoes, and she actually yelled at one of the slaves who was driving because he didn't have his shoes on she's like i'm not gonna have the slovenly driver so she ends up with the slippers though Mm -hmm. so like you know if you look at who's wearing what and who gets equated with what like it's not clear cut Mm -hmm. necessarily yeah well i think for safira it was another sign of Giving up yet another thing. She didn't want to go out in public with her slippers on, but right. her slippers yeah. fit, you know? Right. So, I know. Yeah. It's her role. It's her appearance. Yeah. 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 She even has a coat of arms on, on her. her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just I think like, oh my gosh, like yeah. you're in this little bathwater area. I could totally picture that though, because I lived in a small town for so many years. It's like, all oh, right, there she goes. <laughs> or whatever you know like I'm sure the townspeople well they said there was a point where they said people were kind of afraid of her and she had this didn't she have like a glass cart or something like a dome I had this image of her carriage like (laughs) she seemed very special but also kind of like I won't say it that'd be mean I was gonna say something mean I won't (laughs) never mind (laughs) she was what we would in my small town call a piece of work you know yeah (laughs) Or as they say in the South now about some people, well, bless her heart. Yeah. Bless her heart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just like Gone with the Wind, I am so glad to have read this book. And for me, my first gather. Yay, Yay, you did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was great. Glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. This has been a really interesting summer reading pairing. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I think I'm pretty sure the credit goes to you, Chris, for putting these two together. I think so, I know, yeah. We talked as a team a little bit. I think we mentioned Gone with the Wind, but to put these two together is brilliant. And thank you for coming up with that idea. Thank you. I've always wanted to read them back to back because they're from the same similar time period and dealing with slavery and a white woman slave owner. So it was just really neat to read them together in that way. Yeah. 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 Really interesting. All right. So if anybody wants to comment, we do have our Goodreads discussion group that we'll always be checking in on. We get a notification anytime anybody comments there. So feel free to keep the conversation going. And also with Gone with the Wind, Jenny's got Gone with the Wind on her Goodreads reading group as well. So thank you, everybody who read along with us. And thanks for doing this together. It was really fun. Yeah, maybe this can be a tradition. Yeah. (laughs) Why not? All right. All right, everybody. Happy happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us, On whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.